1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. We'll read the Word of God and then ask Him to teach us. I hope that everybody's there. This is one of our favorite topics of Scripture. And I know that you've all been waiting with bated breath to continue from last week. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection may be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Father, help us to hear your word. And Lord, as we look at the day and the age at which we exist in, Father, I ask that you will move on your people that are called by your name. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I pray. I pray that it is you who teaches this day. That your spirit and your people will open hearts and minds to the magnitude and magnificent glory that is in this amazing text. Help us, Father, to hear to your glory and praise. Amen. We are looking at uh, a text that um, I believe, if it is understood, will completely change your your lives in amazing ways. And I think that you'll see that when I deal with the principles of giving uh, today. But I'll review it quickly because last week we looked at the purpose of giving. Uh, and the purpose is really simple. It is for the saints and the leaders. Um, I have been called at this day and this age to make my living on the gospel. And um, you have been called to help support that ministry. Uh, and there's many things out there that demand our quote-unquote support. Uh, but there's only two biblically. Uh, one is the saints and the other is the leadership. And... This is what Paul is calling it to. The saints you see there in verse 1, collection for the saints. And this context is for those in Jerusalem because they were under persecution and famine. <laughs> Other than that, it was going well. And they had a population explosion. I mean, the church basically started off with basically a group of ragtags of about 500. And within the first two sermons, the church had then grown to 10,000. Uh, and I'm sure that the leadership was saying, Peter, be quiet now. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> because you need to understand something. This is a bizarre concept, and you and I don't understand it. I know we don't. Is that if you got saved in Jerusalem at Pentecost, where would you go to church? You were a little bit on the limited side. You could either go to the church in Jerusalem or you could go to the church in Jerusalem or you could go to the church in Jerusalem. Now, if I lived in Athens, I couldn't go to church. And here you have a whole bunch of infants in Christ and they don't even have a New Testament. Okay, I've met families 
who have left their communities, not a lot, but they left and went to a different location because the church was the only one they had heard teaching the Word of God. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, I look at Castle Rock right now and we have 54 churches in Castle Rock. All right? But you know what? One of them doesn't even want to use the name church. They believe that that's offensive. One of them doesn't want to cross in there because that cause brings back bad memories. Okay? One of them says, I don't want to ever preach more than 29 minutes because your time is valuable. Do I need to go on? 20 years ago, I was told that I needed to find a church. I have a hard time telling people to do that today. Because there is a lot of places where there's a gathering of people, but I would not call it a church. Okay, But that's okay because my Bible said that that was coming. There will come a time when men will not hear sound words. And they will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. So when you start teaching on giving, the normal response from the average Christian is a negative response. And yet, is it not a commandment of the Lord? It's a fascinating concept. Why do we have this roadblock between the average believer and the dreaded teaching of giving? And I think that that's because people don't know. You know, and I shared with you uh, a week ago that, you know, I get, I struggle teaching on some of this. And then the Lord convicted me and says, you struggle on teaching my word. Okay, this is in the context Then, if I look at the flow of thought, the Apostle Paul's coming out of the resurrection. The greatest single text speaking of the resurrection of the saints. And then he says, now giving. In light of the resurrection, giving should be simple. Which brings me to verse 2 on the principles of giving. The principles of giving. When are we to give? On the first day of the week, he says. So each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection may be made when I come. Okay, the word collection here, both times that you see it used, is logia. All right? And it has something, it's opposed to a tax. It's something that is opposed to a prescribed amount. So your taxes are based on a prescribed amount. This is not on a prescribed amount. This is just to give. It's not a tax. Um, and, And Paul says something interesting here. He says, I don't want any of the collection... When I come, meaning it should be taken care of when? First day of the week. It should already be in hand. The normal day of the church to meet is when? First day of the week. No, that is not Monday. (laughs) Everybody says, first day of the week is Monday. No, the first day of the week is Sunday. And this goes back a little ways. Um, you look in John chapter 20, 
verse 19. It was evening on the first day, uh, evening on that day, the first day of the week. All right. When the doors were shut and the disciples were of fear of the Jews, what happened? Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The church was gathered together. The preacher wasn't there, but he showed up. Okay? And it's been that way ever since. The first day of the week. I can drop down to verse 26. After eight days, his disciples again were upstairs and Thomas was with them. The first church meeting, Thomas missed out. A week later, guess what? Jesus came and the doors having been shut, he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. So you have the first two worship services from the crucifixion were on when? First day of the week. You know, I get people get into this and, and you should hear some of the stuff that is taught on why do we get away from the Sabbath? There are churches that meet on the Sabbath. Why? Because we are to honor the Sabbath. Okay, but here the first two meetings you see historically were when? First day of the week. When is that? Sunday. Okay, the next Sunday, the, the, the second Sunday that they're together together, now you got Thomas there. And now with those two become the pattern. Well, I think you're kind of stretching that. Really? Go to Acts chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. They sailed from Philippi in the days of the unleavened bread. And when they had come to Troas within five days and they stayed there sevens. And then on the first day of the week, when they had gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he was prolonged because the message went until midnight. So it was Paul's habit to do what? To gather the saints on the first day of the week and teach. And teach. So it's a pattern of the church. How big a pattern was it? I can take you to the conclusion of the apostolic age in Revelations chapter 1. And by then, verse Revelations 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit and we now call it on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, John said. You know what day that is? Sunday. On the Lord's day. Okay. Do you understand when the church was born, when the Spirit came upon the saints, do you know what day that was? First day of the week. And the Spirit was birthed the church at Pentecost. Well, I just don't know. You know, the Sabbath's in the Ten Commandments. What do you do with Colossians chapter 2, verse 16? Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect of to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath day. The church came together on the first day of the week. Okay, and, and I watch people, listen, John called it the Lord's Day. And I, I have people say, well, you know what? Uh, the reason that we meet on Sunday is that nowhere in the New Testament do you see, 
You see, all of the Ten Commandments reiterated except the Sabbath. And I thought, you know, that is the most feeble excuse I ever heard in my life for removing a Ten Commandment. Nobody said it, so we don't use it. Well, that's a brilliant idea. Okay, just don't say it. We won't have to obey it. Okay, (laughs) see how that gets you. All right, kids, try that with your parents. I bet that worked well. Okay, let me tell you why we don't worry about the Sabbath. The writer of Hebrew tells you that what? He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. The word Lord, curious, ruler of what? Rest. If Joshua could have given it to you, you would have entered it. He says, but it only comes through me. So when am I in the Sabbath? Every time I'm in him. So what day do you celebrate that? Every day. Every day. Every day. See, that's why we come to that first day. That's why we come to the Lord of the Sabbath. Do we understand these things? Don't anybody, don't let anybody bind you with the Sabbath. All right. When does the church come together? First day of the week. First day of the week. And, and, and you know what? The Sabbath is set aside because we now have the Lord of the Sabbath. We don't need it anymore. Why? Because I have entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is a relationship of rest. That's why Paul says it here. Rest. I mean, don't let anybody bind you with the Sabbath. Romans 14 tells you the same thing. It's always there. And yet people I watch, people get into these legalistic mindsets that say, well, we've got to meet on the Sabbath and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. You know what? You can't find that teaching. I can't find that. Why do I put burdens on people that I don't have to? So then why would I be worried about this collection, this offering on the first day of the week? easy go back to what john said in chapter 1 verse 10 of revelations it is whose day the lord's day now grab hold of this for a second i want you to think about this for a second i want you to give the offering when you come together as a church because it will be later called the Lord's Day. When I hear... Now listen, there's a thing called the Day of the Lord. You don't want to be involved with that. Okay? That's a bad day. Okay? Um, But we gather today because it is the Lord's Day. Why are we here? To worship. Do you understand what the Apostle Paul is telling you and I this day? Dealing with principles of giving. How you, please hear me well, because I don't need you to wonder about how I. How you handle money is directly tied to the depth of your worship. 
Look in your bulletins. Look in your bulletins. When we take up the offering, what do we call it? The worship of giving. The worship of giving. You know what? I remember running into a guy, it's about a few years ago, and he says, actually what I do when it comes to giving to the church, um, just for simplicity's sake, uh, I wait till the end of the year and I write one check for the whole year. And I said, wow, cool. And he says, he says, you know, the church really appreciates when I do that. And, you know, it's, it's the end of the year and you got the big offering and all the rest of it. And I said, but here's one problem. And he says, what's that? I said, that's disobedience. What? But you don't understand. I tithe the whole year. One check. The Bible says, on the first day of every week. But if I give you the 10%, it's still the same amount of money. I just, you only have to deal with the stewardship of your money once a year instead of weekly. That's disobedience. That's disobedience. This principle, you only dealing with this stewardship. God wants you to deal with the stewardship of your money. How often? Weekly. Did you hear what I said? I didn't write this. I mean, you know, um, God wants you to deal with this weekly. Why? Because it is directly affecting your worship. Do you realize that how you and I handle our money is a measure of your and my spirituality? Well, I think he's trying to get an awful lot out of that text. Thought you would never say it, never ask. Turn with me to one of the greatest text that ever spoke to my heart comes out of the Luke's gospel chapter 16 verse 11. I have been praying for every one of you all week that you would hear what the Lord Jesus says here in Luke 16 verse 11. Please hear what it says in Luke 16 verse 11. Therefore, If you have not been faithful in your use of unrighteous money, who will entrust the true riches to you? Do I need to explain that? If you have had no spiritual effect in your life, check out your bank book. I know a friend of mine who's a pastor and he counsels. And when people are dealing with crisis in their life, he says, uh, they said, well, we would like to sit down and draw counsel from you. First thing he tells them is bring me your checkbook. Because your spiritual condition will be directly hinged upon your handling of Jesus causes unrighteous mammon. Your impact in the eternals is directly linked to your handling of your 
money. Bummer. Listen, Jesus Christ is never going to entrust you with true riches, souls, if you can't handle dollars. If you have more with the temporal cash, you'll have less with the eternal souls. That's what he's saying. When the money rules you, don't worry about the eternals. Don't worry about the spiritual side. Okay? But you know what's really cool is, he'll fix it. (laughs) I tell people, and I've told this over and over again, you know what? He can stretch a dollar, he can shrink a hundred. It's just that simple. It's just that. You know, it's funny. We will pray harder about trying to get a new car than we will our lost neighbor. And you know why? Because you can't handle the assets that are unrighteous. You will never, ever get the eternals that are righteous. How you handle dollars will have a great deal of how God uses you with his people. Or he won't use you with his people. I look at the body of Christ today and I can tell you that we have a money problem. Okay? And I believe it goes across the church. I I do not believe that this fellowship is immune to it. I believe this church does amazing things. But I believe this church can do even greater... If you and I start handling our money the way God wants us done. Listen, Paul told Timothy, you can't serve God in money. Right? You don't believe it, then why do I get letters from the people that we minister with and they keep telling me that the giving has gone way down? Why should it? Why should the giving go down? Well, the economy, uh uh-oh. Then it sounds to me like you didn't do it right. Because if I was planning on the things that are eternal, the temporal ain't going to affect me. Well, you just don't understand. You're probably right. There are a lot of Christians in this country who need to realize that maybe, maybe the reason that they are not having great spiritual ministry is because they haven't really dealt with the financial area of their life. I know some who are out of the ministry for no other reason. They couldn't handle money. Okay, listen, their theology was good. They were leadership. They were people, persons. They had wonderful spiritual gifts, great preachers, and yet they did not handle money. Money handled them, and they are not in the ministry. Let me, listen, if you can't handle Money, do you think that God will entrust you with true riches? You put all of your effort trying to manage that money, that account. Where are you not putting your efforts?
Now then, I rest that argument alone off of 1611 of Luke will tell you why I don't believe that very many Christians are successful in their handling of money. Because if you can handle the unrighteous wealth, then you will be entrusted. God wants to use you in marvelous ways beyond things you could ever imagine. But until you're dealing every day, every week with the reality of the fact that every dollar in your pocket, every dollar in your every account, every dime you have, every penny you have is a stewardship entrusted to you by God. It ain't yours. It's his. And until you're dealing with that on a constant basis, I don't think you're going to come to grips with what Paul is saying here in chapter 16. I really don't think you are. If you guys heard me make the joke before, I want to go go out with a zero-sum game. I came in with... Nothing. I would like to leave with nothing. I know my kids are going, (laughs) come on, dad. (laughs) I'm glad that's your plan. (laughs) All right. And the reason is, is in my past, I have dealt with inheritances before and watched it completely destroy families. Somebody thought they weren't going to get or supposed to get or I should have got and all the rest of it. No, I don't believe in that. Why? I believe you come in with a zero-sum gain. Why? You can't take it with you, and do you want to leave that here to cause conflict? But we always worry about it. Think about how much energy you put in to the thought processes of money management versus how much energy do you put into thought processes of where is Christ and what is He doing? Why are we to give each week? Why are we to give week by week rather than hit and miss? You know, I remember years ago when I was reading, I think it was either Numbers or Leviticus, and and I came across this text, and I I was going to look for it, and I, I beg your forgiveness, but it says you can't wear wool and cotton. And I thought, well, that's... What? I mean, what about lycra? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and, you, and I just said, well, that's kind of an odd rule. Okay, you know, you look at the Jewish dietary laws, you can't eat that, you can't, and you sit there and go, all right, you know, some of them give you indigestion, whatever, I don't care. You got the unclean animals, and you know, let's, whatever. Okay? But I don't want to wear wool and cotton. Now, common sense would tell me, if I lived in a desert, I probably wouldn't wear wool. And then I was there uh, a few years ago, and it was in March, and it snowed on me in Jerusalem. And I said, yeah, I bet you'd wear wool. Okay? Because I bet there's times you'd get out of your little tent at night and think, whoo, who shut the fan off? But anyway, okay. But then I thought about it. Common sense says, you know what? Wool, you can soak it, and it still does what? Insulates. So if I had a cotton t-shirt on with a wool sweater on top of it, I'd probably be soaking wet trying to freeze and warm at the same time. 
Yeah, okay, I can see why God's doing it. But you know what I realized was? God wasn't saying, you know what, you'd be really stupid running around with a cotton t-shirt and a wool sweater, especially like in June. But anyway, God says, I want to be in absolute authority, absolute control of every aspect of your life, what you eat, when you get up, what your days are, what you're doing, and even what you are wearing. Now then, do you think he's changed on that? No. So when it comes to your money, how important do you think it is in God's eyes? Well, he's got the cattle on a thousand hills. Have him go sell a cow. What if he sells you? What if he says, you know what? I am about to liquidate your assets. Which ones? All of them. Why? Because I want you to be more concerned about the spiritual matters. Psalmist tells us that if you walk in my righteousness, you shall never have need nor want. That my righteous people shall never go hungry. It's interesting, don't you think? See, God wants you to deal with the reality of the stewardship of your money. Because you have that problem. You always think that it's your money. God says, ain't a dime of it yours. You are to be a steward of what I have given you. See, and he wants you to understand that this stewardship is a moment-by-moment moment thing. It's a monthly thing. You know, it's admirable that that guy would give a tithe once a year. That's admirable. Oh, I have, amen, brother. Okay, but you know what you just did? You're saying, all I'm going to do is be a good steward once a year. Well, preacher, you don't understand some. I only get paid monthly. So once a month, you know, I I put cash into the into the till. So what you're telling me is, is that I need to spread it out. Give a little bit each week instead of once, once a month. Listen, don't be a legalist about this. That's not what Paul is saying. Every single day of every single week, make sure you drop something in the bucket. That ain't what he's saying. That ain't what he's saying. He's wanting you, let there be a consciousness that when you come to worship God, you can only worship God, you can only break bread, you can only have fellowship with His people when you have dealt with the way you have handled the stewardship of the money God has given you. Be conscious of it. Pay attention to it. Have it a, you know what? I would give anything if people would set their hearts, would spend half the time they try to figure out what they're going to wear to church and preparing their hearts for the fact they're going to church. There should be a brokenness in about 90% of the saints that says, I'm going before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh-oh. 
But we get more concerned about whether I, well, the men don't, but the women on the makeup are going to put on and what clothes are going to do. And the men get into, well, you know, I need to wear this and what, I need some clean jeans or whatever. And we're always concerned about that. And I'm thinking, you're coming to worship the God who spoke existence into being. See, that's the issue. I mean, if you think about that and take it in light of the resurrection chapter that's just in front of this, how much easier it is to understand whose money is it anyway? And you will be conscious that you are a steward of what he has given. You will also understand that, you know what, if I don't take care of this, then I don't have to worry about dealing with the eternal things. You know, I see this in the church today. Most people today, most people today go to church for what they are going to get. And you know what? That's a sin. Because if the cross of Calvary ain't enough, I got nothing else to offer you. We need to be going for what we can give. Here I am. Pour me out as a drink offering. Let me run the race. Let me finish the fight. Let me keep the faith, knowing that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And all of those who would hear me, all those who would see me, all those who would follow me, would know that they are following Christ, for I follow Christ. And it is seen in my life. It is even seen in my checkbook or my credit cards. See, well, I only get paid every two weeks, and, you know, and I, and I and I give every every two weeks. Listen, that's great, but you know what? It would be really good to be sensitive on that off week. What is the spirit of God saying to you? Listen, somebody has a real need. Somebody, uh, the, go back to purposes. If somebody in the church is in need, well, I get paid next week. Well, I'm thinking that you're not a good steward of what God's given you. Or you would be prepared. You know, I remember, and I shared this uh, a few years ago when we were down at our old building, uh, they brought to my attention that we had a uh, balloon payment coming to <laughs> To pay off our, our our deed, our mortgage, and um, and it was a considerable amount of money. And there was a person in the church uh, who has a tremendous love for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a phenomenal theological uh, understanding and grasp, uh, a gifted teacher, um, and, and and all the rest of it. But him and his family had done some bad financial things, and when it came down to being able to help give to the church to pay off this note, he was not able to. And it literally about crushed him. He said, I have put myself in a position that I am ineffective. And I'll never forget walking with him for many, many months, trying to encourage him and all the rest of it, saying, you know what? Yeah, you you kind of made a mess here, but learn from it. 
Okay, you know, I'm probably not the best exhorter in the world. But, you know, <laughs> just don't make him take you through this again, all right? Because <laughs> the next time it could be like really ugly. <laughs> and and you, you see how ugly this is. But you see what I'm saying? There was this thing that showed up. And it said, we've got to have like $25,000. And I'm like, gee, uh, does it got to be like at once? Oh, no, we got 30, 60 days to get it. Oh, no problem. Isn't that armed robbery? <laughs> but I'll never forget because people started giving sacrificially. I mean, you, you watched it. You know, I looked at our budget numbers this, this, this last month and everybody would look at that and said, you know what? Your number says you only need 50 some odd hundred dollars. I don't know, 5,200 or something like, huh? 57. dollars $5, to make budget. And everybody looks at it and says, look, man, there's like $9,000. What's amazing? I'll tell you that seven of it came in one offering. You know what that means, right? We didn't do very good. We didn't do very good. And I wonder how many people or just like my dear friend uh, who, who watched the church struggle to meet this, this demand that is on her. He says, I can't help. I can't help. I have put myself into a financial place that I cannot assist the church at this time. You know what? I've had people who have come to me and said, you know, two weeks ago we had a young lady uh, with two teenage boys. Her husband had committed suicide. They didn't have no money whatsoever. And we happened to have a little money set aside that we could give this lady almost a month's worth of groceries. You know what's tragic about that? Six months ago, we couldn't have done it. There is a needs in these churches that show up on a weekly basis. I have a question for you. Are you in a place to give extra? Be ready to deal with where and what the Lord is doing. Are you ready every week? See, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting here to give the offering at the first of the week. Why? And I don't, you won't have to take up a collection when I get there. Not only that, he says, you know what? The people need to do what? Save to give. I can only give once a month. I can only give every two weeks. But when the stewardship is still the rest, the rest of the time as the Lord moves, right? The Lord says, here's an opportunity. I need some cash. Actually, I need my cash back. You think about the things that you and I think we need. And I will challenge you that 90% of it is nothing more than coveting. Okay, I remember talking to a Catholic priest. Had been a Catholic priest for like longer than... It's it's a long story. It's a long time. It's before I ever moved to Colorado. But he had been a priest 
in a pretty affluent and a pretty uh, dominating area. And I'll never forget him one time. He was sitting there and he says, I have heard every confession you can think of and things that you can't even imagine. I said, really? He says, yeah, what people will come and confess before their priest. I said, wow. He says, but you know what? He'd been a priest for about 35 or 40 years. He says, there's one thing that I have never, ever heard confessed. I said, what's that? Coveting. You know what? I would argue that today. Very few of us in this room would think that we covet. But then I will ask you a simple question. Are you available to God when he needs finances? Because if you're not, then you know what you're guilty of? Coveting. Let me ask you a question. Have you dealt with this on a constant basis? Even in the week, you're not giving. Are you sensitive to what God's doing? Do you prepare to worship the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords? And you have prepared yourself that what God is saying, and he may be dealing with the issue. I am now ready to deal with the issue. Listen, does your will show a stewardship that speaks of your commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Listen, the purpose for giving is really simple. It's not a complicated thing. I give to support the saints and to support the leadership. The people and the leader. And if I'm not doing it correctly, do you really believe that you will be given the riches, eternal souls to deal with? Will you even deal with the souls that come into your life? If you're not dealing with your stewardship of the pennies that God has given you. So then. If I look at this, the principle is that I give on the first day of the week. Okay? The Sabbath was just a shadow. It was fulfilled, wasn't it? So now I give. And when the need comes along, you know what? And, and you guys that know me for a long time, you know I hate the emotion stuff. I don't want to stir you up and make you cry and say, you got to give or all going to go to hell. Or wait, if you give, this person won't go to hell or something like that. Or show you a slide for, you know, of all the starving children. Because if you're giving regularly, understanding that it supports the body of Christ, which is the manifestation of Christ to a lost and dying world, then you don't have to have any any emotional, uh, icky, sentimental junk to, to make the people do it. I know a pastor right now, well, I knew of him, that taught that you could lose your salvation. And I asked, sat him down one time and I said, do you really believe that? And he says, well, no. I said, so why do you teach that? He says, it keeps them motivated. 
And you just sit there and go, and you know what? If you looked at his congregation and all the people and all the money and all, it's evidently working. See, we shouldn't have to play the emotion card to get people worked up so that they give emotionally. It should be a steady thing. Why? Because I'm thinking that giving is an act of worship. And you telling me I got to stir up your emotions to get you to worship? If I have to do that, my bigger concern is your salvation. You should deal with your finances systematically, week by week by week. And I got to ask you a question. How are you doing with that? I can tell you didn't do very well last month. Uh, we just got the numbers. Matt and myself got the statement for last month. And I'm thinking you guys didn't worship much last month. When the need comes... Is there money available? Because if there's money available when the need comes, then that means we have been faithful. I remember somebody telling me one time you have to push the budget up higher so it motivates people to give more. No, it didn't. Listen, We should be giving sacrificially based on one thing. Our love to God. Have you ever thought about that? Um, In the last few weeks, we've been getting our giving reports for the last year and stuff like that. Have you ever looked at that giving report and said, that's how much I love God? Uh Uh-oh. You want to see great fellowship? Then see sacrificial giving. Jesus himself said, look, the widow's mite. You know what a widow's mite is? It's like a tenth of a penny. He said, because the rich just became poor. And he says, and the widow's might is great. I want to give you one last verse I want you to think about, it, just for a second. No greater love than this than to lay down one's life. You ever pondered what that means? I already showed you what love is, considering others more important than yourself. And yet you can see the Apostle Paul uses the collection or the giving and the offering is the word koinonia that we get fellowship from. Can you really say that there's any greater fellowship than giving to the needs of the saints? I told you there were some great principles in this text, didn't I? This is good stuff. But you know what? I bet you Christians would not line up to hear this. It's kind of like when I was teaching on the spiritual gift that 
the spiritual gift of singleness. <laughs> a whole lot of people, oh, I don't want no part of that thing. <laughs> but what if he gives it to you? Oh, I still don't want no part of it. But if he makes you single, you are thankful, aren't you? If he makes you married, sometimes you're thankful. <laughs> But how many of us have ever been thankful to say, you know what? I have been blessed to live in the richest country that humanity has ever seen. And now may I be given the privilege to give based on that richness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that we do get to worship through our giving. Father, I just pray that uh, if there be... Hearts today that are convicted, that you bow them before you. And that, Father, you set an order that they may be good stewards of the, of the money that you have entrusted. Father, we who are part of this church in leadership, let us be good stewards with what you give us. And, Father, allow us to glorify and exalt you in what we give and how we have stewardship over the precious treasure of your church. And Father, I pray for every one of us. That Father, we search our hearts and we understand, as Jesus told us in the book of Luke, that Father, if we cannot take care of this, we will not get greater. Father, help us. Help us to take care of the temporal and a stewardship unto the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, may we be entrusted with many rich souls till that day our faith becomes sight. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.